As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hello and welcome to On Farm. My name is Anna Davis. We are bringing a fascinating episode to you this week. Hopefully all our episodes are a little bit fascinating. This one to me is brilliant. Um, I have long been fascinated by crime and what motivates criminals to do what they do. Uh, I know, I know, a strange fascination. Uh, But today we're going to get under the skin of that a bit with a gentleman who will introduce himself but who can give us some great stories, some great insight and hopefully some great tips as to how we can prevent ourselves becoming victims of crime. So it's not a lecture, it's just a really great chat. I think you'll find it interesting and hopefully learn something at the same time. Yes, good afternoon there. Alan Drawn, I am the inspector for Police Scotland, who has the portfolio of rural crime and acquisitive crime and illicit trade. And I also sit in the National Access Forum. I deal with everything now that is visitor management related and also have under my portfolio heritage and cultural property. Alan, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Um, a bit of background. My family all think that I'm a bit weird because ever since I can remember, Crime Watch was my favourite TV programme. And I even went on to study and did a degree in criminology because all things crime absolutely fascinate me. So when I heard you speak at a conference, I think literally just the week before lockdown... I thought to myself, we've got to get Alan on the pod- podcast and I'm only sorry that it's taken us this long. So thank you for joining us. Perhaps we could start by you telling us, when, when most people think about rural crime, what do you think they think it is? There's varying perceptions. I think um, it's changed dramatically over the last few years. Previously, uh, it had a lower profile. Rural crime would normally mean the gentle things in life, whereas uh, obviously over the last few years, I suppose producing uh, the Scotland's first national strategy for rural crime, there's been an increasing trend to show and evidence which we've done that organised criminality now is in the, the rural environments, living within rural communities and certainly doing a lot of harm within all the communities. It's organised, it is in definitely involving folks who travel great distances. There's a lot of money to be made and then you've got less chance of being caught. That's the perception. Yes, and I think that rings true with me. I think many people would have previously thought it was just a a bunch of 'er ne'er-do-wells chancing their arm on an unattended quad bike, for example. But as you said, this is strategic and and this is organised and 
rural crime is connected to urban crime. It's all part part of the same organisation. Um, can you talk us through a little bit about the, the kind of... Uh, it was fascinating when I heard you speaking. You are talking about the, the background and the motivations and the incentives and... Um, and how f- farm crime has almost been sort of pulled in to, to, to wider crime across the country? Well, if you look at Scotland as a country, we are a rural country. Uh, Scottish government uh, has Scotland at over 97% of it being rural. So if you look at the way that crime has changed, uh, when I first joined the police, if I was wanting to rob a bank, I would obviously then have to physically go to the bank and hold up the bank. Whereas now, crime has changed, techniques have changed, technology has changed. So if you wanted to rob the bank, you don't even need to be in the same country as the bank. So why would then rural crime not change as well? And particularly in terms of for serious organised crime, when it's all about the money. If you're going into rural areas, if you look at, for example, a tractor, a combine harvester, big valued monies. You go into forestry, some of the the logging um, machinery. And a lot of it just sits there. A lot of it has got the same use key because obviously there's different contractors jumping in and out of a cab at a time. Plus also Scotland is an accessible country. You can get most uh, of Scotland, whether it's by your road, uh, rail. You can go a lot of places where there's the B roads that have got no cameras on them. People aren't obviously as populous. And there still is lots of opportunity. So to maybe highlight how it's moved on, there's a lot of planning goes into what they're going to do. There's a lot of research and they take their time because that is their job. And that's where we're trying to educate those within a rural environment. Be aware, you could be a target. People actually look for what you have as an asset or you know, within your cartilage or what you have as stock. And they'll plan it. So, for example, the best example I can give is a crime group, fortunately, who are now all in the jail, but came from County Durham, and they targeted an ATM that was in a converted church uh, up in Torfins, tiny wee Aberdeenshire uh, hamlet. Blink and you miss it. But they had planned it. They scouted the area about a month beforehand. They looked at all the escape routes. They thought about how many vehicles they would need to try and um, change once they had actually committed the crime. They also then looked at their uh, how they were going to get the ATM out, which was using a telehandler. They also then thought, what happens if we can't get that particular telehandler to work in the night, which actually happened. So they knew where another telehandler was located. They chose their day very well, because it was the night after the Royal Spring show at Thainston, when basically all and sundry was at the show. So folks were in their beds. They were obviously um, going to be able to commit their crime without, as they thought, much disturbance. They went up that month beforehand so that any CCTV that might have caught them looking around the area would have been um, deleted. And they committed their crime. And they literally smashed the ATM out of the the co-op. Devastating for the area because obviously that's where... Uh, everybody went for their daily chat, their daily paper, their daily bread, get their uh, milk, get their local money. That was it within that community. And they obviously made off down south. They got caught. But it transpired that that one crime group specialised in cross-border rural crime. That was their thing. 
And the reason they did it was because they knew of the difficulties in police forces and local authorities to talk across boundaries. And that is one of the key things that we've really started to work on and change. So never mind the fact you had a national boundary, England into Scotland, then you've got all the different local authorities that they were travelling through to get up to Torfins and Aberdeenshire, and then the, the different policing divisions. So to commit a crime, they knew what they were doing, they had it well planned, they had it well thought out, but we also transpired that they had over a 100 odd other rural crimes just across the border. Uh, and again, specifics they would go into, for example, the borders area, they would steal a trailer, take the trailer into um, the north of England, hide it normally within woodland, see if it had a tracker on it. If it didn't have a tracker on it, then take the trailer back across the border and then steal their quad bike or their digger, whatever it was they were after, bring it back south of the border. Again, see if it was um, hidden, did it get found? If not, then they went and took it to wherever they were going to, to do whatever with it. And that's the level of thought that goes in. But it's a business. That's their business. And people need to realise that whilst a criminal is a criminal, they are technically business folks. They have a business model and that's just the way they go about their business. Hence the reason that we obviously need to counter that. But that's how sophisticated they got. As a bizarre thing out of that crime group, we learnt so much about um, their actions, the way that they functioned. And it also ultimately uh, led to their subsequent recapture when one walked out of an open prison in Scotland. They attended again a repeat victim. Uh, this was just in February this year. Uh, they attended a, a repeat victim who was in Campbellton and they were trying to nick a quad bike. They had previously nicked quad bikes from that area two years previously, two years ago. But they went back to the same folks, the same areas, and were trying to commit the same crimes. Unfortunately, they get caught. So it just showed the pattern. They know where they're going. They know what they do. They know where the vulnerabilities are. And it's up to us to collectively work as a partnership and educate, try and reduce that opportunity, get them in the jail, and then when they're in the jail, really strengthen the areas so when they come, they come back out, then they don't have as much opportunity to commit the same crimes again. They're meticulous, as you said, in, in their planning. So how how do you manage to stay one step ahead? You know, what what is it about your meticulous planning and organisation and the partnerships you've got that enable you to to apprehend a, a lot of these guys? You know, it's fascinating that even after all that planning, they still got caught. Yeah, it, it, there's a there's several things involved. Um, first and foremost. Obviously, through the Scottish Partnership Against Rural Crime, folks are now talking across organisations because a lot of prevention isn't down to just policing. Everybody has to do their own bit. And that starts at the, the very local level, working all the way up. Then you've got partners at uh, different levels, strategic levels, who can then influence, who can then try and coordinate the same message, who can then try to work to the same sort of plan. But then what we try to do is look at who is harming Scotland. And the majority of rural crime was actually coming from south of the border because a lot of crime in general that happens in rural uh, environments and communities is done by folks who travel. They very don't, you know, really don't really live in the, the area. They don't you know, come from the community. So they're travelling all the time. Um, so a lot of ours were obviously travelling south to north. So what we tried to do was then engage with our counterparts south of the border 
So in forces like Northumbria, Cumbria, Cleveland, County Durham and now North Yorkshire, the idea was that we could share our information, they could share theirs and if things happened in live time, then we could actually make sure that control rooms were being uh, alerted both sides of the border. We had patrols that could go out and actually target the B roads because they're, they're not using obviously the main uh, motorway system. And slowly but surely, through basically luck, because you always need luck, and we need a lot of luck, uh, getting some good personalities uh, who actually understood things and would then you know, go out their way to help us. And then better intelligence, better sort of formation of um, almost like analytical products where we could then work out potentially what times most active, what days of the week they might be most active, potential routes that would be favoured and we got lucky and then you get more information on it goes and on it goes perception goes out uh, across partners folks start to look out for things you then introduce rural watch as a, a, a mechanism for sending out alerts a whole variety of things come on the back of a bit of success as does putting things in the press the local pair the press everybody reads the paper um, whether they look at social media, they get it on TV or the radio, everybody we found reads the local paper. That's a real good way of saying to folks, police are actually doing something here. We're actually actively trying to pursue those that are causing the grief. And then if you get a bit of success, that then encourages others to then keep their eyes and ears open. And it just takes time. But we've been very lucky in that in the last few years, a lot of good folks uh, who thought that they could have a life of crime. I uh, thought Scotland was maybe easy pickings, have now found that um, it's becoming a bit more of a hostile environment for them, which is what we want. And what we're trying to push for ultimately will be a rough sort of bu buffer zone where our counterparts south of the border want to keep their criminality further south than them. We obviously want to keep our criminality further north than, for example, the borders in the Fries and Galloway area. And it basically means that if anything moves at night on a back road, there's a good chance it will get stopped. If it's legitimate, absolutely no problem at all. And that's where we've noticed a difference with a lot of landowners, farmers, forestry, folks who are out later at night. They're getting stopped by the police. But it's legitimate and it's giving them a bit of confidence because they're seeing us out there and perception is huge. Visibility is huge, but it takes time. And we're always only going to be as good as our last failure. But we have to learn from why maybe something didn't work. So um, it's it's never going to end, which is great. And every day is a school day, which is then where technology comes in. You know, like the use of the drones that we now have. We've got more police quad bikes we never had before. So innovative ways that we can try and just fox the criminal. We'll certainly try it. One thing that springs to mind here, and, and you probably will have experienced it, anybody listening to this podcast will know a farmer who never bothers to lock their back door, leaves the key probably in the forklift while they nip inside for a lunch and a snooze. How do we get some of these farmers to actually take the idea of farm crime seriously? Well, I... I have to say, and being very genuine with this, we are noticing a huge downturn in that um, sort of position. Uh, and again, some of it comes from experience. Somebody might have unfortunately been the victim of such a theft. There is opportunists 
who are going out and about all the time. You see that now, for example, with dog thefts. You know, um, folks looking for a dog that might be tied up or outside, and that then next thing it's away. But then you also look at Scotland. Scotland is changing. Um, one of the most trusting areas used to be up in the very highlands, Caithness, Sutherland area, where every house was open, every car had the key in it. But then along came the North Coast 500 and brought obviously a lot of tourists, brought a lot of folks to the area that nobody actually knew who was in the community or not. And doors are starting to get locked. Cars are starting not to have the keys left in them. Farmers in particular um, have been really heartened, actually. A lot of that's through the work of NFU Scotland, NFU Mutual, the Young Farmers Clubs. That encapsulated with incentivisation, which has come from NFU Mutual, which is something we've been pushing a lot for to get trackers onto quad bikes or machinery. If it's got a tracker, there's a good chance we'll find it. Other things that farmers have started doing and uh, been really heartened with is take a photograph of the machinery or the prize pedigree animal or whatever it is. If there's something that's been unique to that machinery, like a scratch or a dent, or they've put stickers on it, note that down as well. So that if unfortunately it does get stolen, then when the police come along to take a report, there is a photograph. It's not just a big blue tractor that's got New Holland written somewhere on it. It might have a big blue tractor that's got big wheels. It's from New Holland, but also there's stickers on it. There's a big dent at the back where it gets reversed into something. It makes it easier to identify. And that's the sort of thing that we're trying to get from a bit more of a, a ground level approach. But it's working. The way we try and do it is very simple. Keep things simple. If you are going to break into a farm, which farm would you break into? If you had two neighbouring farms, one had a light on, one had maybe a gravel path, one, because it was late at night, had two locked gates up to the farm on the farm road. The other one didn't. Which one would you try and break into? And it's as simple as that. Because criminality does not want to be where it shouldn't be for any greater length of time than it has to be. And that's a unfortunately the thing that technology is assisting them in because you can have somebody sitting somewhere with a drone the drone flies over the area they can then direct their um, and other individuals into wherever it is they have to go but alert them there's cameras there there's a dog there's somebody now crossing the courtyard whereas before you actually physically had to be there so this is again where we're trying to educate the number of landowners uh, who are now spotting drones flying around their premises, flying around their houses, then they don't think anything of it until two days later they're unfortunately the victim of a crime. Yeah, I, I guess, as you said, you know, you're, you're making massive progress and you're making massive inroads, uh, but the job will never be over because things change and behaviours change. And I'm fascinated next, Alan, to, to talk to you. When, when we last met, it was February 2020. And about a week later, maybe a month later, um, lockdown hit. And some people might think that, oh, lockdown hit. Alan and his team probably just put their feet up and had a cup of tea because everybody was at home and there was no crime taking place. But I understand that that could not be further from the truth. And actually... You've been more busy than ever since lockdown hit. So I'd love to hear how, why that is and how your life has changed as a result of lockdown and even how other people's behaviour has changed as a result. It was really interesting. Um, 
there's several phases to COVID and several phases to the rural environments and communities um, across Scotland. Initially, when there was the, the strict lockdown, everybody, absolutely everybody, adhered to it. And that included criminality, that included everybody. There was nobody moving for that initial period, which was excellent. So for the initial wee bit, it worked really well. What also happened to work really well was the good old French uh, police, along with uh, Europol, who managed to crack the encrypted phone codes uh, used by criminality to um, move high levels of money and drugs around the place. So when that started to come to fruition, if it moved, it was getting stopped. Police Scotland started uh, recovering large swathes of drugs and money. So that really helped as well because that took a lot of serious criminality at top levels off the streets. And it was easy to spot them because nobody else was moving. They had to try and move it because they knew they had been um, sort of infiltrated. So that worked really well. But then as lockdown started to go on a bit, then the more common sense practical problems kicked in. Two things in particular across the country uh, rose significantly for us, which caused us endless amount of work. The first was everybody stay at home, absolutely. Then go and explore your local area. So folks were then out in their local areas they'd never been in before. Heritage and cultural property crime rose significantly. Um, folks with illegal metal detecting on scheduled monument sites, we had some of the worst instances ever that this country's experienced. Fly tipping, because obviously civic community sites weren't open. Folks were doing their garden. DIY went through the roof. But then where do you put all the stuff you've cut or you've chopped or you've brought in? And fly tipping, particularly in the rural areas, by folks who normally wouldn't have been the the sort of fly tipper type, um, was incredible. You then had also um, various different groups, the school kids, who weren't really able to celebrate leaving school. So they would then go to rural areas, normally with very large carryouts of alcohol, and... Um, Somewhere that would be near water, they would need to have a fire, and it caused all sorts of chaos. Then you also had the other element, which was sort of mid-20s to mid-30s, particularly groups of guys who then thought they were Bear Grylls, or they were Who Dares Wins um, from the TV series, taking jerry cans full of fuel, chainsaws, whole variety of other things, along with their slabs of beer, going into the wilderness chopping down trees, setting fire to everything that moved, and then causing absolute chaos. So that then brought about parking issues, irresponsible toileting, littering, fly tipping, dirty camping, you name it. Just absolutely phenomenal, which was well covered, as you know, in the press um, last year. That then has also resulted in um, Scottish Government setting up a visitor management strategy and steering group for this year going forward about how to try and mitigate the issues that um, certainly came from last year. Oh, it's just, uh, it's astounding. The way people think that it's acceptable to behave it just defies belief sometimes. And, and as you've highlighted, that not only stretches from the kind of more obvious side of things with the organised crime, but even down to people who, who would probably tell you that they were there to enjoy the countryside and actually they're doing anything but because they're helping to ruin it at the same time. Gosh, we've covered everything, haven't we, really? Um, and 
sometimes I ask people very unfair questions in the podcast because um, I almost expect them to have a, a crystal ball in their hands. And I realise that you don't have that. Um, but at the same time, I'd love to hear not necessarily what you think the future holds, but what you hope the future holds and what you're planning for the future hold to hold in terms of some of your goals uh, and what you're working on and what the Rural Crime Partnership um, is working on at the moment as well, just to looking ahead a wee bit. Yeah, certainly um, going forward, I'm actually extremely optimistic. So certainly from the Scottish Partners Against Rural Crime, we've now never had as many local partners. We've never had as many local partnerships. We've never had as many folks wanting to engage but I think certainly even from Police Scotland's perspective, I have been extremely encouraged. When I first started this role three years ago, it was me and one. I now have, along with myself, I've now got a new sergeant, I've got three constables and I've got a crime prevention officer. So that in itself in such a short space of time is tremendous from policing. There is a more cohesive and joined up approach. Different organisations are clearly communicating with each other. And there's clarity about what we're all trying to work towards. Now, we're not going to solve it, and it's going to be a long-term plan. But the fact that government has invested money, local authorities have bid for monies that's been made available, that money has been given to them quickly. There are now more boots on the ground. There are starting to be better facilities, because we have now a lot more eyes and ears throughout Scotland. We have folks engaging with Rural Watch, We've currently got a Crime Stoppers campaign that's ongoing to September talking about keeping Scotland beautiful, but within it, reducing antisocial behaviour, willful fire raising, thefts, etc, etc. Certainly, as long as we are very visible and we can help change perception, then whilst there's a long way to go, it's a very positive way, without a shadow of a doubt. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um I've got one final question that I wanted to ask you, but just before I ask you that, you touched there um, on livestock worrying. And for us, it has been mentioned so many times by people we speak to lately. It's obviously had excellent coverage in the press. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your personal views on that change in the law and what difference you think it will make to, to the problem, which, as we know, is is causing a lot of sleepless nights? Well, I, I think this is sometimes where perception is versus reality, um, because Scotland is the only place in the UK that records every incident of livestock worrying and attacks for a start. So we've actually got actual figures. And that became very apparent when we were giving evidence to um, the Scottish Government Committee about Emma Harper's bill. A lot of folks were talking, but couldn't provide facts. And certainly over the last few years, it's been really interesting listening to the comments, the facts, the hard evidence of farmers, landowners, crofters, and beyond. It's going to be an interesting one though going forward. And I'm glad that the legislation has been put in place now. Particularly because of COVID, so many more folks have been buying dogs. So many folks maybe not train or understand the dogs in particular. And then, of course, they've been encouraged to go outside into the, the rural communities, get their walks. I think overall perception is the huge key thing here. We were the only place in the UK to talk about attacks as well as worrying. I think another big win is the fact that the 1953 Act didn't include things like camelids, you know, such as alpaca, llama, ostrich, 
um, different types of farmed animals now because farming practices have changed. So the fact that if you have an alpaca, and again alpaca are now being used more and more for mental health, taking them you know, for walks, etc. So there's again the, the links there. Why should somebody that's got an alpaca or, or you know, a camelid not have the same protection as someone who's got you know a sheep or a cow or whatever? And also, again, it's incumbent of others, you know, such as obviously those within the National Sheep Association, NFUS, Scottish Land and Estates, Forest and Land Scotland, British Horse Society, as many folks as possible to push out the same message. And also working with the Dogs Trust and the Kennel Club to make sure that their members are then able to discuss and educate, because educate's the key way forward. In terms of the bill... The other element of it is far stiffer penalties. That should be hopefully a deterrent because just now there's not really a deterrent. And I think the fact that Scotland's taking the lead in quite literal senses about um, the protection of um, livestock, I think can only be a very positive thing. And again, it's how it goes forward. Given on the other side of the fence, there are now so many new dog owners for the very first time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Alan. I think that all makes total sense to me. And stiffer penalties, I think, um, have got to open people's eyes to the the harsh consequences of this because a lot of people don't realise the harm that they're causing. I, I love your positivity, Alan, not just in terms of telling us, you know, everything that you've been achieving lately, but also your positivity for the future. And I suppose my final question is, what What's your plea to us, to people who are listening to this? How can we help you to realise that positive future? Anna, it's a real simple one. Get engaged. Don't be passive. It's as simple as that. Um, what we've tried to provide folks, regardless of where they're located in Scotland, regardless of geography, regardless of demographics, if you're located in Unston, Shetland, or you're down in Kelso, or you're out in wherever, you should get the same service that certainly policing can offer or partners can offer as if you're in Glasgow, Stirling or Edinburgh. And what we really need to get is everybody to engage at their very local level. They should know who their neighbour is, but ask themselves, do they actually know who their neighbour is now? If they see a white van man type scenario that's on their land or going up a drive, do they do anything about it? Certainly make sure that they contact the police if it's an ongoing incident. Don't leave it for someone else. Be engaged. Get involved in their local rural watches, which send out local alerts. If possible, make sure that as an organisation, if they're linked into whether it's NFUS or whoever, they're being vocal so that their local representative is on the local partnership against rural crime. So their voice is heard. And, and that's really what we're, we're trying to advocate. Same as well as if they take a step back and reflect, if they look at their lands or they look at their livestock or they look at their vehicles, they look at their house, the, the farm buildings, whatever it is, and we all can do it, what could we improve? What could we make life difficult in whatever way for anybody that would want to break in, commit a crime or an offence? And sometimes it's the small little things that make a huge difference. But if everybody does it, it then narrows the opportunity for criminality. Criminality wants an easy life. So our whole thing is about making sure they don't get an easy life. 
yeah, amazing, Alan. Thank you so much. Um, fascinating once again. And I think it will make people think and hopefully make people engage as well. So I really, really appreciate your time. So thank you once again to Alan for, for taking part. That's absolutely fascinating for me. And I hope that uh, you found it interesting and maybe we've all learned something and we can engage more and help to prevent ourselves from becoming victims. So that's it for today. Just a quick heads up. We've got two more episodes after this one before we take a break for the summer. Uh, we're going to roughly follow the school holidays for our summer break just to allow you a chance to catch up on episodes you might not have heard before and to give our team uh, a bit of a breather over the summer. But we will be back, and as I say, two more episodes before we break. Over the summer, if you think of any stories that you think we could or should be covering, or if you think you might be interested in sponsoring an episode or more of On Farm, then please do get in touch. But uh, meantime, have a good week. <laughs>